Welcome to Tart Bites, the only podcast discussing translation between English and Arabic. Brought to you by Bushar Rubiai, CEO of Aurora Hikmah. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please note that this episode was recorded almost two years ago to this date. It wasn't released due to putting the podcast on hold, but I finally decided to release it. Hi, everybody. This is Tart Bites, and we are today joined by literary Arabic translator Sawad Hussein. Sawad, can you introduce yourself and your work to the audience? Yes, yeah. Thanks, first of all, Bushra, for having me um, on the podcast today. I am an Arabic to English literary translator. Uh, I focus <clears throat> primarily on women's works um, or works from the African continent or um, literary works from countries which I feel are underrepresented in the publishing industry. That sounds wonderful. And tell me more about... Uh, your personal background. We had a little powwow uh, before the recording started, and you have a really unique. You're you have a very unique uh, selling proposition in business terms. <laughs> I've so never heard. Explain <laughs> more about your personal background. How yes. it is like how you as someone of Pakistani origin does translation from Arabic into English. Yeah, so um, it's funny that you've um, framed it that way. I never thought of it as like a unique selling point. Um, But yes, so I am a Pakistani, uh, proudly so. And I didn't actually start, uh, like I I could read Arabic before in the sense because obviously the Urdu script comes from Arabic, but I didn't actually start studying Arabic until I was 17 in college in the U.S., And um, I had gone in for a medical degree, but completely changed my course of study after I had a really inspirational uh, teacher who was actually Russian. um, So that was quite odd (laughs) and uh, funny. But yeah, I just fell in love with uh, Arabic and the language and literature. And um, since then, I've trained to be an Arabic teacher. So I used to teach... Um, Arabic to non-natives for about 10 years and at the same time I was translating literature Um, and now I just work for the past five years I've been working in education so I work with an examination board um, Mm. and then translate part-time but uh, yeah I guess I, I know a lot of people within the Arabic to English literary sphere sphere who perhaps are non natives of the Arabic language but I don't know as of yet any other Pakistani or person from the subcontinent who is, that's not to say they're not out there. I just haven't met them specifically. Most of my colleagues are either American or English um, uh, individuals who are also translating from Arabic into English. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. That sounds really intriguing and interesting. So uh, what, what was the thing that your teacher inspired you to really leave the whole medical school thing, especially <laughs> because, you know, my my mom is from Sri Lanka and my dad 
was from Algeria, so I am a mixed kid, and I know all about how the subcontinent people want <laughs> their kids to become doctors, yes. lawyers, you know, or they might let you be a CEO only if you can guarantee that you're gonna have like millions of dollars. So tell me what what <laughs> was it that this teacher told you or showed to you that changed your mind? Yeah, so it's really funny you say that because definitely, like, you know, as I was growing up, it was always, even if it was just in, in jest, my mother would yeah. always say, oh, you know, you're going to be either a lawyer, doctor, or banker. Like, it has to be one of those three. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but to be honest, I really did enjoy biology and, you know, I had been studying towards medicine, uh, you know, throughout my adolescence. But uh, I think what really triggered something within me is because my teacher was a non-native speaker of the language um, and she was you know blonde haired and blue-eyed and she had achieved such a level of fluency not only in Fusha so modern standard Arabic but also Amia so in you know colloquial Arabic that she really inspired me that I I was just thinking because usually when you're taught a language by a native speaker as a student you always think oh like I'll never you know, be able to be as good as them, right? Like, it's just yeah. not possible because they're a native speaker. But she was a non-native speaker and she was really, um, you know, some people didn't agree with her teaching methods, but she, she was quite strict. But at the same time, you know, had very high expectations. And when you met those expectations, you know, she would celebrate you for it. So she was very supportive, really encouraging. And um, I think I just realized you know, I could do something with this, but obviously, you know, when I mentioned it to my family, it wasn't good news. Um, yeah. And it was a very difficult decision to make because they're like, what will you do with Arabic? How will you make any money? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I'm really glad that I did change it. You know, um, I changed my degree and then just started doing all of um, Arabic courses and mm-hmm. uh, studying about the Middle East yeah and uh that's been my life pretty much ever since so that was you know i uh, that was what it's now we're 2020 i went to university in 2004 so uh it's been a while 16 years yeah yeah (laughs) okay so um tell me more about your translation work which uh which book that you translated had the most impact on you i think i'd have to say and it's not just because it's the most recent one that's been published but it's probably baba saha by sahar khalife mm-hmm. um and that's primarily because i i have been a fan of her work <clears throat> forever uh, you know, when I was learning Arabic, I had studied some of her texts, and this is a particular. So it's been translated in the English title as "Passage to the Plaza," and it's out with Siegel Books. Okay. Um, and um, it's considered like a Palestinian resistance classic, which you know she wrote over thirty years ago. And when it was first released in Arabic, it was quickly translated into other languages, such as you know Dutch, French, German. Yeah. I think like within the first five years, but it had never been translated into English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so long story short, unless you want to get into it, but basically I ended up translating it. And the reason why it's impacted me is I think it just gave me a whole different perspective on the Intifada and the 
role of women, not only intellectually in that movement, but also physically. So everything in her narrative is female driven and <clears throat> propelled by, you know, women and, and the strength of women, uh, you know, em emotionally as well as physically. And I just think there's so much in the book that can be taken into you know real life scenarios as like a woman today right in today's world yeah. and so i just found it very inspirational even though i'm not living obviously in the intifada um but i just found a lot of uh, strength in the book that i have you know tried to incorporate yeah into to my own life you just convinced me to read a book i have no knowledge of so great uh, yeah and it's yeah. not long so that's also always good because i know some people you know don't like long books no um, i like long books i just don't have the time nowadays i have a two-year-old and she takes up a lot of my time i can't imagine <laughs> yeah yeah okay so what's the trickiest word you have translated so far so I must admit, because um, you did give me this question beforehand, yeah. I, I can't think of a specific word, but, you know, reflecting back on my translation practice, what did come to mind is the trickiest, the two trickiest things for me to translate are humor. So like jokes um, and, and uh, like a specific dialect. And it doesn't mean like, oh, if it's like Khaliji or Shami, it's like if within that dialect, there's a specific accent, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, like uh, when I was doing, <clears throat> so it's not necessarily Baba Saha, but like a different Palestinian book where some people might pronounce a letter as a la, but other people pronounce it as a a, uh, and some people might pronounce the same letter as a off, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Depending on which like village you're from or area you're from within Palestine. So it's always for me um, a difficult, like sort of, to consider like how much of this needs to be reflected in the English. Yeah. Uh, how important is it? Or can I reflect it in a different way? Like, is it a reflection of their class or of their level of education? Is it a, a reflection of just being informal or, you know, just the region that they're from? So you really have to think about, you know, when someone speaks a specific way in Arabic, specific, usually it's in the dialogue, like what are the, um, re like, what is what does the Arab reader get out of that? Like, what are the automatic associations that you're making when you hear someone yeah. speaking like that? Um, and how do you transfer that into English? Uh, so that's those are the two things I usually find the trickiest, and I always end up discussing it with uh, you know someone who works from Arabic to English, and also you know just people in my life who don't speak any Arabic, right? So yeah, whenever working on a translation, I'm drawing upon people who can understand the source language and then some people who just only understand the target language because I yeah. find that both of them give me a lot of uh, different perspectives on how to improve things. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Makes what about you? What's the trickiest word you've had to translate? Oh, I think this is, um, this is a tricky question for me because I can, <laughs> I can list to you a lot of uh, words, but um, it's not the words that are tricky for me. Mm -hmm. I work in marketing translation mostly, so it's the nuance that needs to 
be paid attention to, just like in literary translation. And by the mm -hmm. way, I have translated a book before. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, from English into Arabic, and uh, ah. it it was a it was a triple award winning science fiction novel. Okay. Hilary Justice, and. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people asked me after, whenever they found out that I was the translator for that book, they asked me, did you have any trouble translating uh, the phrase faster than light speed? Mm -hmm. But the thing is that book doesn't have anything to do with speed of light. It actually had to do with... Uh, gender oh gender was very ambiguous in the book interesting and everyone is referred to as she but they could not also be she's at the same time it was really weird because it's set in a fantasy kind of universe it's not set in the real world uh-huh uh-huh and there was uh, a lot of a lot of nuance that had to be paid attention to during the translation itself i don't remember specific words but i remember we struggled with the with the gender i had to speak to my editor a couple of times but what did you decide to end up doing because like you know as as, as you as obviously as you know arabic yeah. is so gendered compared to english yeah. so, so what we did was we uh we just translated it as as it was like she Okay, and, and tried to try as much as possible to show that not every she is a she. Ah, okay, yeah. like from context yeah. as opposed to the actual pronouns or verbs yeah. or yeah, yeah. Wow, that sounds very complex. Yeah, yes, it was very <laughs> complex. Thank you for asking me. About yeah, it. no worries. Okay, what advice would you give to aspiring translators? So I would say specifically for literary translators, because I know, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of other translators out there. Uh, firstly, yep. to be very persistent. Uh, and that's, you know, in everything that you're doing, because it's a very, it, take, it's, it, it takes a long time to get into this field and to actually make any progress although i mean having said that in the past like you know 10 years there's a lot more opportunities for mentorships now um and you know older translators informally mentoring younger translators or it doesn't have to be younger but as you know people who are less experienced yeah um and there's more schemes you know to to try to get your foot in the door but still it's not I've just found like you have to be very patient and persistent. I would say to slowly build a portfolio. I had to do, a, I'm not advocating, you know, that people do work for free, but unfortunately that's sort of the nature of this job uh, when you first start out. So that includes, so when I first started out, because uh, the issue I was having, so I did a lot of, so I did, I did paid samples for publishing houses, um, for books that they were interested in or books that I would bring to them. Um, but the issue was that I had never done a book length translation. And as a result, the editors, you know, would, would always say that, oh yes, like, you know, we really like the sample and we're actually buying the rights to the book, but we're not gonna ask you to translate it. Um, and whenever I asked why, you know, I said, well, if you like my, my work, like what, what is the issue? and inevitably it would always be the same thing well we just haven't seen you 
commit to a book length project. So we're not really sure, you know, how you would deal with that because obviously doing a book is different than just doing, you know, a sample of 2000 to 5000 words. But having said that, you know, you always are just, it's sort of the chicken and egg thing. You're just like, well, why don't you just take a chance on me? So um, the way that I ended up doing my first book is that I actually did it um, for a small publishing house in Hong Kong, but I didn't get paid for it in the sense I was only paid through royalties. So that's based on, you know, how many books are are sold, but I did all of the work just for for free as in there, usually you get a, a fee you know, to do the actual translation in addition to royalties, if you're lucky. Um, But that actually opened up like a lot of opportunities for me. So then suddenly, because I had already built up my portfolio of all the samples, you know, editors, previous houses I had worked at before were um, more amenable to me doing a book length project. So I would say build a portfolio in terms of not only samples, but also make yourself someone who uh, comes across as um, very much aware of the literary trends in your, um, you know, area of the world. So if you're translating from Arabic, then like, you know, countries where Arabic literature is being produced, or if you're doing Spanish, then like Latin America and, you know, um, mainland Spain, etc. So I used to attend a lot of literary festivals and do um, interviews with authors and put them on blogs um and uh or just write reviews of books uh you know whether in in arabic uh as in books that have been published in arabic so then i write a review of it in english or i would also write reviews of books that had been translated from arabic into english right um so just having all of that ready to go you know just continually engaging with the literature that you want to translate then shows an editor when you are eventually pitching a book that you know what you're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if you just kind of come out of nowhere and you know, you're like, yeah, I'm a great translator, but they need to see that you have the cultural knowledge of w- as well of, of yeah. what you're um, saying that you, you know, you want to speak about. So, so be persistent, build a por- portfolio. And then the thing which I wish I had realized earlier is in, in my first few years, I would only network with translators who translated from Arabic or into Arabic because I didn't think that I could learn from a translator who was translating from a different language, which was obviously very naive of me. Uh, Because what I realized in the past few years is some of my greatest advocates and some of the best advice I've gotten are from, you know, people who translate from like German or Russian or Swedish. Uh, um, And so it's just, you know, it's, it's a similar skill set, but they're just working between different languages. But originally, I had only thought like, oh, I only can learn from people who are working from Arabic because it's so specific. Yeah. But that's not the case at all. So I would say don't be afraid to join associations like, you know, they have here in the UK, like a translators association or to attend events. Like during this whole period of Corona, I've attended many events online um, where they've been having interviews with translators from, you know, <clears throat> different languages such as uh there's this thing i'm not sure if you have seen it on twitter like um there's a translator called mohini i think her last name is gupta she's been doing translation thursdays and she focuses specifically on translators working from indian languages Mm -hmm. so like uh canada and urdu and hindi and um all these wonderful you know languages where i realized you know i have so much to learn from them as well so that's yeah that's what i 
I would say that uh, that's my advice. <laughs> speaking, speaking of other languages, have you like ever translated anything from Urdu into English? I have done Urdu into English, but not literary. So I've done some NGO work for Urdu into English. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done French. Uh, I, did, I started out actually uh, before I you know, was um, aggressively pursuing a career as an Arabic to English translator. I started out as a French to English translator. But okay. it was a lot more difficult to get into that field because obviously there's so many more French to English literary translators, just so many more. And um, I'm so thankful that I decided to stick with Arabic instead, because first I was doing both, um, but I just realized that um, there was so much more opportunity for growth if I did um, Arabic to English literary translation as opposed to French to English, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. The French to English is already saturated by market, I guess. Yes, yeah, it is. It is. It is really, really saturated. And even though I mean, there are so many more translations from French into English each year, you know, compared to Arabic yeah. into English. Just as you said, like the amount of people working from French into English, it you know, it's it's really uh, just number. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it's like maybe tens of thousands. Yeah, because inevitably you always find someone who, even if it's not like their strongest language, they will have ha- they will have a little bit of it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's enough resources around that someone can make their way through, you know, a text, even if their, you know, French is not, you know, what it should be. Whereas I find with Arabic, you need to really have a solid understanding. Like, yes, there's online dictionaries and the rest, but there's only so many like resources that will take you that far if, if you understand what i'm saying like you personally yeah. to have a really good handle on the language yeah um yeah you have to understand its nuances and all the all the crazy parts of how one word in arabic can mean literally a dozen things it's yeah. <laughs> even more complicated than English. I mean, some people find it difficult to learn English, but man, if someone's learning Arabic, kudos to you. You are like, you've done a great thing. Like, and you, you, Sabad, have done a really great thing in your life. I mean, you coming from an Urdu background, uh, English and Urdu background, and then uh, jumping into Arabic, it's, it's incredible. Wow, thank you very much. <laughs> That's really kind of you. You're well, welcome. So I wanted to ask you, uh, have you come across any machine translation that um, was really funny? Like not necessarily in your line of work, I guess in your line of work, no one is doing, um, I hope at least that nobody is doing machine translation, but like in general, have you ever encountered something so funny uh, that was translated and you were like, nope, this is not right, but what a joke it is. Yeah, so um, it wasn't literary, you know, literary translation, but when I used to teach um, and, you know, my students would be writing essays, it would just be so clear to me as day if they had used google translate for a specific sentence (laughs) 
Um, and I would just always giggle because it's just like they don't realize how awkward it sounds. And yeah, I think Google has improved like a little bit because sometimes I do just quickly check something in Google Translate and I yeah. can see that it has improved a little bit, I would say in the past five years. Yeah. Um, but definitely when I was teaching, it was just so funny, like just the syntax or like the word would be out of like, you know, it's the wrong word for that context. Yeah. Um, it was just, it, it was just really funny and really, and they would be like, Oh, how do you know I used Google translate? And I would just be like, because it's so clear, like how can, you know, it's just, um, you know, yeah. rather than them trying to, it's, it was really clear when you'd have a student who would, you know, try to form a sentence on their own using vocabulary from the chapter, as yeah. opposed to then someone who's just gone on Google translate, because the language would inevitably very, be very technical yeah. or very high or something. Um, so I always used to find that really funny. Um, but uh, yeah, what about you? I mean, in marketing, you must come across some, some funny translations quite often. Yeah, I'm saving that for my personal anecdotes that I do in the show. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, yeah. so you better tune in. <laughs> yes, I will definitely. Yeah, I'm looking okay. forward to listening to you know, future episodes. Yeah. So tell me about the work you're currently doing. Are you, you're translating a book right now, right? Yeah. So actually like I'm, um, I've just handed in, uh, so the most recent book I did, I just handed in about 10 days ago. So also it was with Siegel Press, which is a press that is based in Calcutta in India, but they have like a, an arm here in the UK and they distribute in the US. It's again, another, Palestinian novel um, it's a lot more philosophical and very like existentialist um, and it's called uh, so it's by the authors Akram Musallam and it's called Sirat Al-Aqrab Al-Ladhi Yatasabab Arqan and so it's it was a bit of a quirky book it's a short read and uh, you know so to be honest, like this was the first time I was approached by a publisher to, to do a book. I hadn't chosen it myself. Usually uh, the books I've done, I have, you know, researched them and I'm doing it because I love them. Yeah. So this, this book originally, when I started it, it was, it was interesting. Um, and, and I grew to like it is what I will say. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's very, it's a, it's for a very particular sort of reader. I think people who, who are into, you know, surrealism and philosophy, yeah. um, which is not usually w what I read. Uh, so definitely to get the voice of the main character, which is a man, um, <clears throat> it took me a while to figure out how to translate his voice uh, because it was so far removed from the sort of work I usually do, which is like work written by women, um, you know, where there's like a strong sort of narrative. It's not so like this book is very meditative. It, it's a sort of, it's a slow, slow burn. Um, so yeah, I mean like now that I'm done, I, I, I can, you know, appreciate it more, but I think yeah. in the middle of it, sometimes I was just like, this is so very, um, very odd. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I've just finished that book and I'm currently, um, working on a short story by Najwa Bin Shatwan, who's one of my favorite authors. She's Libyan. Um, for that she's written for an anthology uh, with a UK publishing house here 
that's meant to be coming out, <clears throat> I think sometime in 2021. Uh, so her short stories, I, I find her work is, is always the most difficult for me to translate for two reasons. Number one is because there's a lot of Libyan context that sometimes even with research, I'm not fully understanding. So um, I have, she, she's so patient with me. Like we have a huge WhatsApp, you know, um, we always end up, I always end up voice noting her and we're always WhatsApping. And then yeah. um, the second element is because a lot of her writing is like dark humor. And so there's a lot of sarcasm in there. And so I want, sometimes I have to double check that, you know, what I'm understanding is funny, was meant to be funny, or if I've missed a joke or something. So as I was mentioning before, like humor is very difficult for me to translate. But having said that, I find her work the most rewarding for me to translate. So it, it takes the most out of me, but I'm the like most happiest with the product um, is what I would say. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, with that, I'll wrap up this interview. Thank you for being with us, Sawad Hussein. I look forward to speaking with you in the future. Yes, thank you for having me, Bushra. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed listening, please, please rate and review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again and see you on the next episode.